0: The Yankees definitely did not get down on it over the weekend, getting swept by the Red Sox in the Bronx for the first time in a decade, by the way. We'll dive into a nightmarish series and what the Yanks do from here. Is it time to fire Aaron Boone? What about Marcus Timms, P.J. Pilateri? Yankees haven't had a reason to have a celebration, but we will. Robert Bell, AKA Cool, from the legendary group Cool and the Gang, will join us. Come commiserate with us next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post.
1: All rise, here's a Pinstripe Pod. New York Post.
2: All rise, you call the Yankees. Pinstripe Pod.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our producer Jake Brown as well during the show. Follow the entire crew on Twitter. That's at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43 and at Jake Brown Radio. Go into Apple Podcasts now, give the Pinstripe Pod a five-star rating and write in a positive review. Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm asking you to go there and do that for us. We appreciate your support all season. Later in the pod, we are excited to chat with Cool himself, from the legendary group Cool in the Gang. Back-to-back episodes, Nelly. Little music flavor here on the Pinstripe Pod. But the music isn't so sweet with the baseball team that we talk about every week. And that's the New York Yankees. And I want to start with this. They got swept by the Tigers. Over the weekend, they get swept by the Red Sox. They are 3-10. and 10 In their last 13 games. And during the broadcast on ESPN last night. And I know you and I have our issues. As do a lot of people with the Sunday Night Baseball crew. Especially with Alex sometimes. But you can never question how much this guy knows about baseball. He probably knows more about baseball than, than I've forgotten, or he's forgotten about, uh, about enough baseball than I remember, uh, however that goes. I just willy wonk myself, <laughs> strike that and reverse it. Uh, but seriously, though, I mean, he said when the Red Sox took a 4-3 lead, they did it playing baseball. Arroyo hits a pop-up. Uh, It gets all convoluted there in the outfield between DJ LeMayhew and Clint Frazier. I'm sure you have some thoughts on that. Arroyo busted out of the box and they scored it a double. So he's there at second. Next batter, Verdugo. He had a home run earlier in the game. What does he do? There's a sign outside the uh, right before you get into the Yankees dugout says do your job. Well, Verdugo did just that for the Red Sox. Hit a ground ball to second base. You don't see that in the box score. That's just an offer. You know what that did though? Got Arroyo to third. Next batter. Who's that? Xander Bogarts. Deep fly ball to center field. Sack fly. Run scores. Red Sox take a 4-3 lead. Now, the Yankees did tie it up. But what Alex said there, Nelly, really stuck with me. He said the Yankees have to wake up. Human beings win baseball games not computers, and the way Alex Cora is running this Red Sox team right now is the reason why they're so successful. They're playing old-school hard-nosed baseball, and that's why they are ahead of the Yankees right
2: now. Well, we talked about it on Friday, how good the Red Sox are, and that once they come into Yankee Stadium, everybody's going to realize how good a team this is, and I didn't give them enough credit in the beginning of the year. I didn't think they were going to be there. I thought they were going to be exactly where the Yankees are now, and that was going to be in fourth place. They're a very good team, and once they get Chris Sale back, and they'll probably wind up making a move to even better themselves going forward. And I think a lot has to do with their manager coming back, and that's Alex Cora. You know, I think that everybody can see what kind of difference that he makes. There's not a whole lot of times that the manager really plays a part in the game, you know, as far as winning or losing. But it's the expectations that they that he expects, and it all starts in spring training, and that's what he did, and that's what Alex Cora did with its Red Sox team: small ball, make things happen, uh, put pressure on defense, give yourself up. It is it is old school. You don't see that anymore. You don't see okay, guy on second, let's. Try to move them over somehow. Give yourself up. I mean, you get you see more high fives, or you used to see more high fives from a guy getting a guy a guy over from second base to third. And hey, you did your job. Yes, it's not, it's an o4 in the in the box score, but. For your manager, for your team, you know you did your job. And that's what the Red Sox are about.
0: ESPN showed a shot. To your point, Nellie, and it reminded me a lot of your teams with the Yankees in the 90s and the way you guys played the game but uh, and the way you were built. Let me not forget about that with Stick Michael and Bob Watson at the controls. It was just the way you were built and the way you played the game. But ESPN showed a shot in the dugout after the sack fly from Bogarts. He walked directly to, I think it was Verdugo in the dugout. And they embraced and they patted each other on the back because that's team baseball. Verdugo didn't crush one into the second deck. He had a ground ball, a second base. He did his job. That's what people have to understand. That's baseball. Now we could sit here and we could scream until we're blue in the face, but you and I didn't build this team. Brian Cashman did. And now this is the analytic crowd and all the people who want those three-run homers, they're not coming early and often like they were in years past. The ball is different. The pitchers are better. Their spin rates are better. That might change now with all the substances being patrolled now by the umpires. Something is going to come down and in the coming weeks. We heard Aaron Boone say that before the game yesterday, that there's going to be a memo that's going to come out early this Week that's going to have umpires checking pitchers. But, Jeff, as a batter, like, look at Judge. Judge is the perfect example. And you've been talking about him. And I know I'm going all over the place here, but there's, as as Jake said before, we started taping this podcast today. There's so many layers to this onion that we have to unravel, and we don't have enough time. But, Judge is the perfect example. He is now. I wrote it down, 10 for 19 when he swings at the first pitch. He's batting 526. And I asked him that after the game. I said, what goes into that approach for you? And he said, well, it's pretty much the only pitch I'm going to get to hit. So if they hang a slider, if they throw me a fastball, I want to hit the best pitch that they throw me. And oh my God, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like someone's actually being active about an approach and about making themselves better. And Judge has to be the hottest hitter on this team for the longest time. So that's what a batter has to do. He has to change from a bat to a bat.
2: Well, guys that strike out a lot have to try to swing early. You know, if if they get deep into the count Especially if a pitcher gets ahead of them, uh, like an Aaron Judge, you know a lot of the guys that you know, big hitters that strike out. It's easier to, yeah, they are going to have to jump on the first couple pitches. I mean, you look at Vlad Guerrero Jr. What does he do? He never really sees deep counts. You know, I I had a game when they were playing the Marlins. He was four for four. He saw seven pitches in all four (laughs) at bats. Seven total pitches in four at bats, and he was four for four. He had a homer. I mean, he was a triple away from the cycle. And that's how good he's going right now. He's got great numbers, got MVP type numbers, triple crown type numbers right now in the American League. And he doesn't see Deep counts, unless it's a pitcher gets behind and you're 3 0, 3 1, and then you might see a deep count. But that's the same with Aaron Judge. His approach right now, he says, I got to swing early because that's the best pitch I'm going to see. And, you know, because if he starts waiting, he starts taking that pitch, then all of a sudden he gets into a deep count or a pitcher's count, and you're going to see a lot of strikeouts because then expand his the zone.
0: Yeah, they're expanding the zone, and he gets a lot of low uh, strikes called on him. So he's adjusting. And it just seems like he's the only one that adjusts. Glaber Torres now. Now, look, he went up there last night before he tied the game against Barnes. He went down 0-2 immediately. And I'm sitting there going, what is going on with him? And then he hung a slider and, and Torres, they had him shifted for some reason, into uh, left center with the left fielder, and he pulled one down the line. That's why Judge was able to score all the way from first. So a good piece of hitting there by Torres on a mistake pitch by Barnes, and the Yankees were able to tie it. But it just seems like all the way up and down the lineup, there's some kind of bug that, that the Yankees just can't shake. And they have to understand these home runs aren't coming the way they used to and the approach has to change. It's not just one or two guys; it's everybody.
2: Yeah, and you know they spent so much money on the on these analytics, and, and as far as all their spring training videos, you know what what does, what was what that thing that they uh, the pitchers use that they oh, go the, in The gas station, the yeah. gas station, all this, all this crap.
0: That's all we heard about in spring training was the yeah. gas station. Enough with the gas station! Just yeah. hit the ball.
2: You're in fourth place, so just yeah. gas stations running out of gas. where the price for price per gallon is way too high because they're not, they're not doing anything with it. It's disappointing because you look, everything is so analytical and it's the good teams will wind up like a Boston Red Sox playing small ball, doing the little things to try to manufacture runs they are the ones that are going to wind up winning. It's the ones that, okay. You know, when, when analytics is telling you, Hey, don't bunt the guy over because you're giving an out away. Don't steal a base because you're giving an out away. Yeah. You know, it's, don't hit and run. Don't don't. I mean, don't do things to try to manufacture runs. Let's wait for the three run homer. And like you said, they're not coming. And if they keep continuing to wait, they're going to be home in October instead of playing in October. Instead of being the best team in the American League, they're not even close to being the best team in the American League. And it's funny, you know. Okay, hey, they snapped out of that streak about two weeks ago and started playing decent baseball. I mean, this is a roller coaster ride.
0: They're the fourth best team in their own damn division, Nelly. <laughs> I mean, well, they're, not, they're not anywhere near the best team in the American League right now. They're two games over five hundred. This is a team, though, that went on a 17-5 and tear. But let's not forget who was red hot during that tear, John Carlos Stanton. And he can't stay on the damn field. And when he came back... He looks completely lost. He's now 2-for-24 with 12 strikeouts since he came back in that Detroit series. Now, that leads me to this. All the approach things that we're hearing about and the Yankees struggling mightily at the plate. There was something last night in the game, another layer of this onion that has to be peeled back, Nelly, and that's Aaron Boone and Marcus Timms. Now, there was a pitch called on Rugnet Odor. If you haven't seen it yet, and you don't know who Mr. Magoo is, I, I would beg you to go Google Mr. Magoo. Brian Mungia, who's also an editor and producer on this show, I know you're a young dude. Go look up Mr. Magoo. You'll know what I'm talking about. Thurston Howell the Third, Jim Backus, he voiced him, but it was a guy who bumbled around and couldn't see. That was the guy behind home plate last night with Mr. Mungia for three. <laughs> But this pitch was at least a foot outside. It ended the inning. They go to break. When they come back, it's not Aaron Boone getting tossed out of this game for that call. I don't know how the hell Odor kept his cool, by the way, when this pitch was called a strike. But that would have loaded the bases. It was a 3-2 pitch. Took the bat right out of his hands in a huge moment that he could have turned the tide. Saved this weekend series for the Yankees in his first time uh, in the rivalry. And the bat's taken out of his hands. Who gets thrown out of the game? Phil Nevin with an IV in his arm, still battling the after effects of COVID. He's the one that comes out and you could read his lips. He said, are you blanking me? You've got to be blanking kidding me. And then he gets run. So he gets run. And then as the inning progresses, Bill Miller, the crew chief at second base, looks in the dugout and points and throws somebody else out. To that, Marcus Timms looks out, points at him, and tells him where to go. So Nevin gets run. He gets thrown out of the game, comes out of the dugout with an IV in his arm, so he's out. And then during the inning, Bill Miller points in the Yankee dugout again and, and seems to throw somebody else out. And Marcus Timms points back at Bill Miller and tells him where to go. You could, you know, guess what magic word he used right directly at him. It was shut the front door, but you know what I'm talking about. But it wasn't Timms who got run. It was Carlos Mendoza. So now Mendoza and Nevin are the ones being ejected from this game. And Aaron Boone goes out to Bill Miller to get an explanation. Now look, I don't want to get too much on Aaron Boone here, Nelly, because the guy's got a pacemaker. I'm not, even, this is not a joke. Okay. I don't know what kind of medication he's on. I don't know if he could blow up like that. This is, we're talking about his health here, but it just seemed weird to me that two of his guys on the bench, one with an IV in his arm, still battling, you know, the after effects from COVID and Nevin, they get tossed. Tim's is like. I don't know if you remember the game NBA Jam, when when a guy hit three shots in a row, he he was on fire. He's on fire! fire. That was was, uh, Marcus Timms. I mean, that guy was lit up. Uh, He didn't get tossed, though. But to me, it was just very weird to see Boone go out there. And I asked him after the game about Miller's explanation. And he said, not a good one. And that's all I got out of him. But it, it was not a good look and not not good optics to me. If that was Billy Martin, if that was Lou Pinella, the home plate umpire, he would have been wearing dirt. I just don't know. It's just really weird for me, Nelly. And, and, and I know I've got on a tangent here because I do that all the time and I apologize. But what are your thoughts on that whole situation from last night and where Marcus Timms and Aaron Boone, do they have to worry about their jobs?
2: Who knows? Like you mentioned with Aaron Boone and his, and his pacemaker, I watched and he's trying to hold Nevin back because Nevin wanted to get his money's worth. Uh, I don't know why should've. he didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I don't know why he didn't get caught. He didn't get tossed protecting his coaches. I mean, any manager I think would have said something, you know, to the home plate umpire, and he probably would have been gone as well. So that's a little shocking to me that he didn't get tossed along with Phil Nevin to try to back him up. He was trying to hold him, hold him back, and say, "Hey, let's go." You know, calm down. I don't know if if he is on any kind of medication that says, you know, what you cannot blow up. You can't risk raising your heart rate, raising your blood pressure, or something's going to happen. If that's the case, then he probably shouldn't be in the dugout
0: that's why i didn't want to make light of it and i didn't want to give him too much i'm giving him a pass here
2: and if that's the case then he probably shouldn't be in the dugout i mean being a manager i don't care if you're getting getting everything fed to you by the computers or the computers are spitting out the lineup all the time and telling you hey you can use this guy don't use this guy in this situation i think that's basically a lot of these teams now it's all all computer i mean you don't see any feel very often maybe the alex Coras, those type you're seeing feel you're seeing that one of the reasons why they win i think If you look at if you're a Yankee fan, you look at the Yankees, where are the expectations? The expectations always came from the top and it trickled all the way down to the players. So you knew exactly what you had to do, it trickled down to the manager. Where are the expectations now? You know, are they everybody's so concerned about the luxury tax or they don't want to go over it? Okay, great. You don't want to go over the luxury tax, but do something. You have to make a change. This team is going nowhere. And okay, we're talking June. But it's not early anymore. You have teams. You're, you're, the trade deadline is is a month and a half away, and you're going to have teams ahead of you that are going to make trades. And they're going to be able to expand their roster. They're going to be able to make significant trades to help their teams. And the Yankees aren't going that way. They, they're saying, oh, well, we don't want to go over the luxury tax. You don't see anything happening in the dugout. You don't see anything. Their, their approach is not changing. Their approach is the same all the time. And it's, uh, it's to me, something has to be done. I mean, it's something, some changes have to be done. And I, I like Aaron Boone. I like Marcus. Temps, I do too, yeah. But something has to change. And you can't keep going on this roller coaster when you're coming out of spring training. You're supposed to be the best team in the American League. And now you're fourth in your division.
0: You said the trickle down effect, Nelly. And it also trickled down not only from the top to the team at the major league level, every level in the minor leagues was expected to win a
2: championship.
0: And that's not there anymore.
2: No, it's not. You know, it's that was one thing that the Yankees. I, when I played against these guys, the Yankees in the minor leagues, they were powerhouses at every level, and they were taught to win from rookie league. Once they put on that uniform out of college or high school, it was nothing but winning. You had win or to go home. win, yeah, exactly. And it went all the way up to the major league level. So by the time you got there. It wasn't, hey, I'm glad I'm here. It's okay. Now i got to continue that mentality of winning. You know, a lot of minor leagues now, they're really not concerned with, oh, let's go win the championship. Let's go win a ring. And it used to be, hey, you wanted to win at every single level. And that was, you know, some teams more emphasize that than others. The Yankees were one of them. Now it's all, let's develop these guys. You were using the minor leagues as a development area. So when they get to the big leagues, they're ready. I don't know. It's just disappointing to me. I mean, you know, the Yankees were all about winning and you win one. One world series in the last 20 years is just not the way the Yankees have been or way the Yankees go. And now you're seeing this crap that they're throwing out on the field. Their approaches are terrible. You know, some now, Sometimes the bullpen has given it up a little bit. Now some of the starters have not done well. You know, it's just their defense is horrible. Their base running is horrible. Fundamentals. Oh, That's where when you have guys not running the bases, when you guys, the fundamentals start going backwards, that's when it's on the coaching. That's when it's on the coaching, when the fundamentals go backwards. Their outfield play, the defense, the base running, that is on the coaches.
0: Well, let let me ask you about a certain play because I know some fans probably want to hear your thoughts on this, being a former player. It was the play that gave the Red Sox the lead that I described earlier, I won't go through the whole thing again, but on that Arroyo pop-up, I think LeMahieu was in a shift situation and he had to go diagonally backwards into the, he was in right field. Let, let's be honest. Clint Frazier was out in right field. So you had Chris Gittens and DJ LeMahieu coming very close to one another. And Frazier was pretty much like a fan, just watching all of this happen. In that situation, what needs to happen, Nelly?
2: The outfielders, anytime the outfielders are coming in for a ball, it's always the outfield ball. Anytime a, a infielder comes out into the outfield, the outfielder has to call them off. It's easier running into the ball than running back like LeMahieu did to try to catch a ball. It's Frazier's ball the whole way. And, you know, it's... There again, it's fundamentals. It's, okay, I'm the right fielder, I'm the outfielder. It's just like the center field. The center field, any ball that he can get, it's his ball. He calls off everyone. There should not be any ball that drops in between any one of the outfielders. It's a center field ball all the time. Anytime the outfielder is coming in on a ball... And he's able to catch it. It's his ball. Out the infielders get away. That's the way it always has been. You know, sometimes you'll see infielders that go out there. If they're camped, okay. If they're camped, but if they're running out, that's not your ball. Frazier should have caught that. It should have been his ball. He should have caught off Lemayo.
0: And I just got one more for you, and, and it and it comes down to the bullpen. And, and I think you know we've seen Lucas Litke, who who came into this season, who made the team, such a great story. You know, he hasn't pitched since 2015, and he's been such an integral part of. This uh, bullpen, but we're seeing him. That was his 21st appearance against the Red Sox on Sunday night. And he got a huge strikeout of Rafael Devers to get Domingo Herman out of a little bit of a pickle in the sixth inning. But he gives up a four pitch walk in the next inning and then a moonshot to Marwin Gonzalez. And I just, I was scratching my head, Nelly. I didn't know why he went back out there for the seventh inning. It seems like the, I know Chad Green was used the night before, so he was unavailable, but Barnes pitched all three games for the Red Sox in a closing role. I just didn't understand that move by Aaron Boone. First of all, taking Herman out of the game, he he thought that when he, he had that at bat, against Xander Bogarts that he was kind of losing it a little bit. I asked Herman after the game, he wasn't losing it. He said just, you know, some pitches that slipped out of his hand. But Boone saw that as maybe I got to go get him as Devers comes to the plate. That worked out, but it just seems like maybe this bullpen is feeling some of the effects of being used so much so early in the season, and you you would know you know something about that being a former member of a bolt.
2: Well, you know, we we had Stanton on the other day, I mean the other week, and we could handle it, so we were used to being able to pitch every day. We wanted to pitch every day, you know. Stodemeyer and Tori came to us and say, "Hey, you're you're in the game." If we're four up or four down, so count on pitching and get ready for it. They don't throw guys back-to-back days very often. You saw Barnes with the Red Sox. He threw three days in a row. Uh, you don't see that hardly at all anymore. The closers maybe, but the setup guys, you don't see two days in a row. You don't see three days in a row. They're capable of doing it. It's just the teams don't do it. You know, Remember when Stanton says, okay, if I'm throwing three days in a row, okay, my velocity the first day probably is going to it should be. And then all of a sudden, the third day, you know, it's probably not going to be my best velocity, but I'm going to find a way to get out of jams. And that's what it is. I mean, you might not have your your great velocity that you're used to on that third day or that second day, especially if you threw a lot of pitches the day before. But you try to figure out how to get out of that. You try to figure a way to get outs. And that's what we did. You know, these guys are capable of doing it. LaWizaga is capable of throwing two days in a row. You know, maybe Chad Green, oh, he gave up the four runs, so he probably needed a mental day. You know, so. Maybe you go again on on Tuesday. You just can't wait to get back in there. But guys can throw back to back days. They're 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 able to do that. And you need wins. You need wins. You don't need. Oh well, you know what? We can't. We're going to stay away from him because he threw yesterday. You need to win a game. You need to try to avoid a sweep and to go and and do what they did yesterday. And maybe that was their plan. You know what? We're going with Licky another inning or, or a couple more hitters. He hung that breaking ball to Gonzalez. It was a down and in breaking ball that he just golfed out and he crushed it. And it, it just like a lefty. I mean righties right down there right right down and in and that's exactly where it was he Lickie doesn't throw very hard and when I mean when that breaking ball is coming down and in it's, it's you're going to crush
1: it. Nelly I'm curious your take because as, as a player and I think Marcus Timms might be first on the chopping block you saw with the Mets when they fired Chili Davis to start May they were they've crushed it since then in terms of record not exactly hitting but did you have a firing in your career where it sparked the team at all it was whether it was a hitting coach a manager where you guys turned it around and it was kind of a buck kicking that the Yankees might Need.
2: No, because we won all the time, so we didn't need to fire anyone.
1: <laughs> never in Seattle or Texas, never anyone fired your whole, whole career.
2: No. Like... Well, we, when we were bad, we were just bad, so it wasn't it wasn't oh going to get God. any better? But when no. we were no, we didn't need to. The minor but,
1: leagues, there's got to be some time in your there, baseball career. No,
2: no because I, we went to the playoffs. <laughs> I went to the playoffs eight out of the fifteen years, so there wasn't too I, many uh, too many times that God, we didn't win. This is why I love Nelly. Just it's
0: like just, cracking it is, grenades it, and throwing. Them from the from the
2: tower, even though the you know the players, you, you kind of hope that these guys have some kind of accountability. You kind of and some kind of pride, saying you know what, I, we have to turn things around, we have to make adjustments, we have to do something. And you know some and, and, and there's nothing against Aaron Boone, and there's nothing against Marcus Timms, but so sometimes you just need a change of voice, you just need a change of scenery, or you need somebody else to come in, maybe with a different philosophy, or or just a shake up of the team. And it's sad that when guys have to get fired. I mean, Chili Davis was a great friend. of There still is a great friend of mine. And I didn't, I don't think anybody liked it. I mean, you looked at some of the Met players. They didn't like him getting fired. I mean, look at, you know, the big panda couldn't stand it. I mean, it's, he loved Chili Davis. Everybody loves Chili Davis. And, and I'm sure everybody loves Marcus Timms and Aaron Boone. It's just sometimes you need to change. And you, you gotta, you gotta make it, you gotta make something happen. Here's
0: the thing that should scare the hell out of Yankees fans. Right now, against the Red Sox, Rays, and Jays. They are one game worse than the Bull Durham, Durham Bulls. They're eight and seventeen against those three teams. The three teams they're chasing, the American League East, they're eight and seventeen. And Jeff, you talk about it all the time, the run differential. Minus four. Yeah, 43 Yeah. Against those three teams. And against the Tampa Bay Rays, they're a minus.
2: 27 I, I wonder what you know you just have those three and that's what they have to worry about the three teams in their division but I wonder what the record is with teams above 500 it can't be very good they have to they have to be well under 500 with teams that out. That. <laughs> yeah you know t- teams under 500 they're probably great teams over 500 they're not they're not too great I mean you just talked about three teams that they're not doing well and
0: they're three and three against the Tigers they're three and one against the Indians they're three and zero against the White Sox and they outscore them 14-5 in that sweep they're six and four against the Orioles they split with the Braves uh minus one in run differential there they're two and one against the Astros that was another big series for them where you thought the season was going to turn on a dime and they were just going to start taking off the Rangers they took three or four from them of course and the Nationals they took 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 two or three from them. But you know, the run differential is a problem. And when the three teams you're chasing, you're eight and seventeen with a negative 43 run differential, that's something that you said. This is your to your point earlier about changing approach as the season goes along. That has to change. And you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I have to do something different because this, what we're doing right now, it's not working. And it's not helping their pitching staff either.
2: And you can't continue to strike out at the rates that they do. They 36 strikeouts in that Tiger series when they got swept, 37 strikeouts against the Red Sox, you cannot continue to have double-digit strikeouts every single game, and that's what the Yankees are bringing. That's just an embarrassment. You're not going to win games like that when you're getting and seeing 11 strikeouts, 15 strikeouts, that just does not work. And if that's your approach and you can't change your approach, then you are not going to the playoffs and you're a very bad team.
1: I have the remedy, guys, this week. The Yankees will take on the last place Twins and face none other than Michael Panetta and J.A. Happ, two Yankees legends. Big series.
2: Well, you don't think Jake, What do you think Jay Happ is thinking right now and how bad he wants to stick it? You know, where did he? Can Yankees... you
0: imagine, guys, if we're coming back on here on Thursday? and Pineda and Hat. Both shut down this Yankee lineup. If you think, if you think today's show was bad,
1: <laughs> oh man, you'll have a fire. There'll be a shorty oh, fire burning on the dance floor. There'll be fire coming out of your head. You have to win two out of three. Now, if they get swept by the Twins I, and Boone's still here, I think by Friday, no, and that bizarre no off way. day, uh Joe Girardi will not be seeing Aaron Boone in the other dugout.
0: <laughs> no, by Friday, no. If if there's a sweep in Minnesota at the hands of the Twins, I, I think. But do you
2: knows. do you honestly think they'll make make a change? Do you honestly think I don't? I don't. That I think Boone's there the whole year. I, do I don't too. think they'll make a change. Brian and even Cash with their hitting coach, about that, yeah, yeah. Even with their hitting coach, I don't see them making any coaching changes. Amazing. Well, I you could know be what?
0: wrong. Nelly, you were talking about changing their approach. Well, let's change our approach on the podcast, okay? We we have to do the same thing. And I know there's not too much to celebrate uh, with the Yankees lately, but uh, we're gonna get down on it and do a little jungle boogie. With Cool from Cool and the Gang next on the Pinstripe Pod. Joining us now, Robert Cool Bell from Cool and the Gang, one of the founding members of Cool and the Gang. He's a musician, singer, songwriter, grew up in Jersey City, so he's a New Jersey brother like myself. Cool, thank you so much for joining us. He's also a Yankees fan. We appreciate the time, buddy. Thank you. First thing I have to bring up is your song Celebration. Uh, Was a celebration in my house growing up, actually, because my brother and I, we had like a makeshift basketball court in my basement and celebration was the quarter length. So every time the song ended, we had to rewind it and start it again because you were timing out our quarters. So a lot of fun. Growing up with your music, cool. So thank you for that. And how about being a Yankees fan? Where did the genesis of you becoming a Yankee fan come from?
3: Well, growing up in the New York, Jersey area, you know, the Yankees were the Yankees. know <laughs> The Cavs was dominating, you know? I've been a Yankees fan for, for many years.
2: Now, who was some of your favorite players when you were watching?
3: Well, um, let's see. During that time... You hit me with them, Jeff Nelson. So. Maybe Jeff Nelson. <laughs> well, I don't course, know. Jeff, Jeff. Of course, Jeff Nelson. <laughs> now, do you
2: get out very much any you know, anymore and go see them? I mean, they're. Uh... I think they're frustrating all Yankee fans right now.
3: Well, um I'm trying to think, uh, did um did my cousin play for the Yankees? Tim Griffey's my cousin. Wow. And did he ever play for the Yankees? Did Kim Griffey ever play for the Yankees? Ken Griffey Sr. N- senior senior did. Yeah, yeah, it's my cousin.
2: Oh, is he really?
3: <laughs> a lot of connections. Yeah.
2: Well I used to play yeah. well, I used to play with uh Ken Griffey Jr. out in Seattle for a number of years and I know him well.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, he was out there, yeah. Matter of fact, Ken is coming up for the golf outing as well.
2: Oh, is he really? yeah, that's right, yes. And yes. what's what's that golf outing for? Cool, if
0: you want to tell us what's going on next month,
3: it's, it's for the uh, Cool Kids Foundation that uh, my wife started uh, several years ago. I lost my wife about three years ago, and she her thing was uh, to have music in the schools. And uh, when I was growing up, I you know in the schools I would have a cello. I their homes didn't like that, Violins didn't like that either. Melophone, didn't want to get my lips messed up. Hey, they're playing bass. So so that that was her thing, you know, uh, So these kids uh can have a chance to uh learn music and uh, pick an instrument and uh, learn how to play it. You don't have that anymore. So I've been supporting that.
2: Now tell us a little bit of how how you got started and, you know, growing up in New Jersey and, and all of a sudden going into and, and starting Cooling the Gang.
3: We started back in 1964. Now I was born in Youngstown, Ohio. And my family, we, we moved to New Jersey in 1960. And then we got together and formed our first group it's called the Jazzy Axe. And that was our love for jazz. My brother liked down Coltrane and Beachy, Campbell Attlee, myself, Ron Charlie, And so uh, and then we got involved with an organization in Jersey City called the Soul Town Review. And we became the Soul Town Band. And the Soul Town Review wanted to be like the Motown Review. So we would have to back up. About 10 groups, uh, twice a month, but we have to run all these Motown songs, you know, My Girl and Getting On the Skin Deep and on and on. So, after we left that organization, we became Cool and The Flames. And our first manager was working for James Brown, and, uh, he came back and said, We can't use, uh, The Flames. He said, What? Because yeah, that's James Brown, and the famous Flame." So, we didn't want to have any problem with The Godfather. So, okay. <laughs> because, uh, Let's just call ourselves Cool in the Gang because it was a mixture. Of jazz, Funk r and that's how I started. Our very first record came out July 3rd, 1969.
1: You guys had a lot of different names. That, like, what was it that Cool in the Gang? That you're like, all right, this is the one we're sticking with this for the next for the rest of our lives.
3: Well, our first record was a big hit. <laughs> Surprisingly, uh, we were top forty. With the the song Cool in the Gang, and the band Cool in the Gang, hey, everything was Cool in the Gang, and we've been Cool in the Gang for over, you know, 50-something years now.
2: Now, how did they come up with a nickname Cool for you?
3: Well, Cool was a nickname um, that I picked up in Jersey City, country boy coming from Youngstown, Ohio, and everybody had a little name out there in the street, so I didn't want to be dominated, so I had to find something. That's (laughs) why I came up with the name Cool. Not knowing that... uh, It would be a cooling gang later, you know? It's called Survival of the Street. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You have eight top 40 albums. Ladies' Night, Celebration, Get Down on a Jungle Boogie. All fantastic songs, cool. Just uh, the celebration of the entire catalog is real. But what does it mean to you? to to form this group in 1964 and you're still going strong today and i know the pandemic was awful for all of us especially for performers but you're actually getting back out there july 4th so what does that all mean to you
3: oh i mean uh, i feel very good about it that uh,
0: you're coming back
3: around you know and this business is one of ups up and down. And, you know the blessing that we have been able to survive you know for so many years that's like, cool again our song was in the songwriters Hall of Fame about a year ago, we were inducted to the Library of Congress for the song celebration, and we were told they played celebration up in the space station one morning when wow. the astronauts got up. They were partying for celebration. <laughs> it was
0: also it was also played when the hostages came back. It was played in the NBA finals. Were you shocked when all of this stuff started happening? When that song when when the song was being celebrated like that?
3: We were, but we felt so good about it. I mean, you know. Return to the hotshots from uh, uh, Iran and NBA Finals, uh, World Series, Super Bowls. It goes on and on. It was the song when the Mets would win.
1: Many for many years, I believe at Shea Stadium, Figgy was telling me last night that for I think twenty plus years or something, when the Mets would win the game, they'd play that song. I know this is the Yankees podcast in New York. It was celebrated. I did not go to one bar mitzvah, guys. When as a kid, where celebration wasn't or a wedding the, or wedding <laughs> where celebration or wedding. wasn't on. So. I'm sure you've well, been. Cool. A that was cool. a
2: bad. That was a bad example as far as the Mets winning because they must have not played that very often. Then,
3: that's <laughs> well, you know, sorry, I you know, know that's not a great example. I know that's <laughs> on the other side of uh, the country, but the uh, Oakland A's. Used to play celebration all the time. That was one of their favorites.
0: You have a new single coming out in July called The Pursuit of Happiness, a new album coming out next month as well. W- w- and who are you performing with uh, July 4th in LA?
3: It will be with the Los uh, Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra. It's just uh, an orchestra myself. 60 feet
0: up. A uh, peace orchestra. That's amazing! Songwriters Hall of Fame, Hollywood Walk of Fame, New Jersey Hall of Fame. Hopefully, the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at some point too, because you all deserve it. I mean, you have such an extensive career with this band and such great music for so long. It would be tremendous to actually see you guys perform at a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. You know that?
3: Well, we're waiting for that. We've been waiting for a long time. <laughs> Well, we got all, you we all got, deserve it.
2: Exactly.
3: We got a lot of the other ones, you know, the New Jersey Hall of Fame, uh, as I mentioned the song, the Songwriters of Writers Hall of Fame. But, uh, yeah, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We can rock a little bit. We did 48 shows with Van Halen. Since you those kids, yeah, you huh? Yeah, that, that's another <laughs>
0: point I wanted to bring up. I mean, you guys and Van Halen together. Now, if I could get in a time machine, if I could fire up the DeLorean and go back in time, that's <laughs> definitely a show I would go to.
3: <laughs> yeah, we had a great time with them. You know, we played with uh, Meatloaf. was uh, just another uh,
0: Elton John.
3: Who is your favorite group to, to to work with or collaborate with? Well, I have to say, I had great fun was Van Halen because I didn't know him that well in the beginning, and then uh, was this Van Halen before. or
0: Van Hagar? <laughs>
3: Well, no, this is when David Lee Roth came back. He okay. came back uh, to do their big celebration. And uh, he saw us over in uh, London. We did a big rock gig in London, uh, Fressenberry. And uh, they had you through that week and a lot of rockers. And he saw us. He called up late Eddie, of course, and uh, Andy, his brother, said, I got the uh, first group to uh, open up. And they said, well, who? I cool in the game. She said, well, what have you been smoking, man? <laughs> 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 so he said, I just saw these guys rock the uh at the Glassbury Festival. He said, Yo, want me to come back? i will come back with Cool Again, not as my opening act, as my support act. And he told me, Hey man, he said, um, switching the of his audience, a woman. He said, When you guys had Celebration, we had jump. He said, When we're out in LA, we used to play Jungle Boogie and Funky stuff as a band. He said, Hey, cool, let's go and have a party. That's what we did. The four K show.
0: I, I got to tell you, I wore out Celebration. And see, Jake probably doesn't know about this, but I wore out Celebration and Jump on my cassette tapes, <laughs>
3: oh, I,
1: I, I, my dad
0: played cassette tapes in the car. That's how I probably listened to uh,
1: "Cool in the Gang" for the first time. So cassette tapes were the, were the thing in the eighties uh,
0: and nineties. Uh, what about eight tracks? You know anything about eight uh, tracks? Well, we right, that's past. That's past my time. That's when you
1: oh, had an boy. Afro. That was when you were wearing an <laughs> Afro. <laughs> eight
3: eight tracks. back in the day, uh, the studios only had eight track recordings. So if you mess up, you have to do the whole song over oh. again.
2: Oh wow! Oh, it's my not my like God. today
3: where you got all this modern. Technology, yeah, yeah, you know, so that, that those will
2: get there. Cool, I have one more. You know, Chris asked a little bit, but I just wanted to know you know, I retired in '06, and you really never look back on your career until after you're out. Now, you're, you guys are still going strong, but did you ever look back and say, Wow, we look where I came from and look where I am now, and and you know, how like they said, every place is playing the song celebration, but what you guys have done as a band, I mean, you ever look back and say, This has just been unbelievable. I
3: look at, back all the time. You know, where we came from, you know, I called a uh, young country boy from Youngstown, Ohio, coming to Jersey City, and he's coming, well, you know, not i the famous that uh, definitely thankful and look back at that. And we're we still trying to hang in there with these uh, young guys. You know, uh the the, uh, the millennials, but uh, we're doing that thing. Cool. How important
1: is for you to carry on, cool, in the gang, especially after the loss of your brother last year, uh, Ronald, at sixty eight. Like it's got to mean more now. You're putting out an, al- an album and music in his honor, right?
3: Yes. Yes, he was the main writer for Pursuit of Happiness, and he was the key writer for Celebration. So those two songs. I mean, um, he was known for his horn lick, jungle boogie, funky stuff, Hollywood swing, you know. And uh, he's definitely a will be will be missing has been missed. And uh, but but we we we're pushing on. We're pushing on. I don't know. Maybe another five years, uh then I'll be eighty stuff. I don't know. Has to pay out the wheelchair and just be tall something. <laughs> 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 cool
0: cool just just one more for me too i just want to know when you were growing up you said you really didn't have that music in school who are some of the people who inspired you to pick up an instrument and then who was that first because my first brush with greatness was was being at yankee games in the late 70s and seeing these guys live and in living color i was a huge baseball fan so who is it for you in music that you eventually in your own life met and we're starstruck.
3: Who is that person? Well, I would say, um, first of all, my guitarist, the little Charles Smith, he taught me a lot in playing uh, uh, the bass because he played the guitar. And um, of course, like I said, when we were jazzy, I actually we listened to a lot of jazz uh, uh, people like uh, John Coltrane, you know, uh, Herbie Hancock, and all those guys. Herbie but Hancock, we, yes. Yeah, so when we got involved with Soul Town, you know, and we had to learn these Motown hits, I used to go to the Power Theater, man, and look at the Temptations and Smokey Robinson and America. I didn't know that we would end up playing all their songs with, with Soul Town reviews. Man, every weekend, rushing over to the Paul Theater, 10 cases, or James Brown, you
0: know? Well, I I have to say, it it was an honor to talk to you today. Just so many years of such great music, and we we really appreciate you coming on and giving us some time today. Songwriters Hall of Fame, Hollywood Walk of Fame, New Jersey Hall of Fame, eight top 40 albums, and he should be with his band in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Cool, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we
1: got to get you back on Cool in the album comes out because we want to yeah, hear this new cool. album
3: yeah 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 I'm very uh, proud of this uh, new album my brother wrote 90% of the album and so yeah I would like to get back on and once you hear the album and of the songs that he wrote and, I mean we all stuff together but he was the key he's always been the key writer
0: so I would love to come back on the show huh? well we're looking forward to it thank you so much we appreciate the time today
3: oh i got one another thing i don't know if mark mentioned it i, I came out with my champagne called the cool champagne oh, oh wow really
0: oh, we might
3: need when, a couple yeah. of samples
1: samples while we listen to the when, album when When does that come out
3: <laughs> well uh, we started at the top of the year we gotta get you guys uh, a couple bottles of it too but uh we came out i was uh, doing a tour in europe several years ago and the promoter came to me, he said, listen, I'm doing a champagne with the late Barry White, and the Barry White looks like on one of the Bee Gees. He said, well, would you like to do, we had about 20 shows in France. I'll have your champagne at the show, at the show. I said, well, I don't think my fans want to buy a bottle of champagne at a concert. You know, they want t-shirts, caps, and that kind of thing. So I said, but what I would like to do, I want to be on the show. He said, oh? I said, yeah, I want to be on the show. Thanks. <laughs> like, Came up with this idea called Le Cool Champagne. And we had kind to of deal with the Bertram family up there in Rims where they make Don Perry on and push down all the big boys. And uh, I wanted to break in Europe first and then come to America and say, oh, what is this? And it's a grand coup. So we're just getting started and we definitely got to get you guys involved and get your, your opinion of it. And that's my other venture been I haven't been working I've been out here promoting the cool champagne. Well,
1: listen, I provide the orange juice, you provide the the bottle and we got a mimosa right there. There you go,
0: cool. <laughs> it sounds like a Yankee party to me.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: thank you so much, cool. We appreciate it, buddy. Okay, thank you, man. That says goodnight to episode 59, the Luke Void edition of the Pinch Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungu for producing the show. Go on to Apple Podcasts right now, give us a five-star rating, write in a positive review. We appreciate it. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We're back on Thursday after the first two games of the series against the Twins. Thanks for listening, folks. Stay safe. Happy trails.